Hi, Eric. How's it going? Aaron, uh, may I ask, are you a big fan of the Mount of Transfiguration story? Oh, um, are you talking about, like, the scriptural? Yes, Mount the of New Testament. Transfiguration or some kind of New Age? No, no, I'm talking about Jesus. Okay. No. So, fairly New Age. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... Jesus goes up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, uh-huh. and crazy stuff happens. Yep. And um, when they leave, Jesus says, uh, don't tell anyone what you saw until I've been raised from the dead. Ah, that's fantastic. Which is interesting because Jesus spends a lot of his career going around breaking taboos and talking about things you're not supposed to talk about in ways you're not supposed to talk about them. What are some of the taboos that he breaks? Uh, well, a lot of them have to do with who you talk to, like mm-hmm. talking to Samaritans as if they're human beings, talking about Samaritans as if they're human beings, yeah. um, not respecting the priests and the way they feel they deserve to be respected. So a lot of it is a lot of this cultural and not necessarily topic. But he also bra- broke specific laws as well. Things that people considered laws. Yeah. Although um, law seems like a strong word for some of the things he intentionally broke. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he did. Okay, so he broke all these norms. But yeah. for some reason, he said, don't talk about... Don't talk about this until this. later. Until later. Until this thing that I'm telling you about that you don't know what I'm talking about happens. Right. They didn't really understand... You'll know it when it happens. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they really didn't understand. Or they had yeah. glimmerings, but they didn't really figure out that he was about to We're die... We're so judgmental about them. ...and be resurrected. When in rea- Yeah, exactly. When in reality, this, you know... He was a fisherman, you know, the other guy was, there was what, a tax guy? Yeah. They did not have college educations like no. you and I. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so they were easily flummoxed. <laughs> All right, so don't talk about <laughs> these particular things. Okay. Right, um, which the reason we're having this conversation today is is we were interested in the way people were talking about the recent, uh, did it happen this month, January 2019? It was this month. Changes to um, the the endowment ordinance. As far as I know, it's only the endowment that was affected, but I have not been to the temple because our temple is closed. Our temple is closed, the Sacramento and Temple. And who wants to go to Sacramento? Oh, right, right, exactly. <laughs> Sacramento, that'd be too far. That's too far. I have been there a couple times, but, you know, I've proven my loyalty. I don't need to go again. So the things, so certain things that happen inside the temple changed. That's correct, yeah. which is happened before, mm-hmm. will undoubtedly happen again. Yep. I have the mission... Uh, I have the church's statement open and available ah. if you wanted to take a look at it. Yes, we could read it. It is it as... Is, it doesn't say hardly It's anything. a nothing burger, yeah. as the phrase goes. Yeah, it's great. It says, yeah, stuff changes in the temple. Always has, it always will. Yeah. That's what it says. It's pretty chill. In, in relation to that, there were a couple things that came up online that you and I talked about. And uh, the first one was by a fellow, an acquaintance of mine named uh, Mattathias Westwood, whom I'm anticipating meeting next month, actually. Oh. Not next month. Next month, if it were two days from now, next month would mm-hmm. be accurate. Um, and he talked a little bit about the temple, and he has, but very little, because he's one of the people, he feels very strongly about not talking about the temple. He's, he's on the very conservative side of whether or not we should talk about what happens in the temple. Mm-hmm. And, but he talks about how not talking about the temple is also problematic because uh, it makes it seem weird and people who ha- might have had an uncomfortable experience don't have anyone to talk to because the people who they can talk to won't talk to won't talk about it in order to talk about it therefore do you have to go to the temple but it's the temple that's giving you trouble so there are a lot of there's a lot of angst built up around this culture of quiet yeah um, so the topic is then why don't we talk about 
what we don't talk about. Exactly. No, more specific. It goes one level deeper. Why don't we talk about why we don't talk about what we don't talk about? That's correct. <laughs> in case it wasn't meta enough, as if, as if we haven't gone down these kind of holes before. So personally, I'm in, I'm in total agreement. Um, I, we're not going to talk about the specific changes that happened in the temple um, today. And I generally don't talk about what um, the specifics about the, the temple. It's not that there's it's not that they're a secret or a big mystery. If you want to, you can go read one of our many literatures about what happens in the temple. You know, it's a series of of endowments. There's a series there's a series of of promises. There's a series of education. You, you know, they talk about various parts of the scriptures, and it's. Let me ask you this question, mm -hmm. Aaron. Yeah. It is the night before your eldest son is going to the temple. For the first time. For the very first time. Yeah. And he comes to you because he's a little nervous mm -hmm. and he needs some sense of what to expect. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you respond to his concerns? Well, that's a great question. You're not going to say, go Google the temple and see what you see. No, I'm not. Because it would... Because if I told him to do that, it would not convey the message that the temple tries to convey which is the nature of symbolic communication uh -huh. when you strip it from its context it doesn't mean anything potentially right so um, I don't know how to answer that question because I haven't gotten there yet I'm hoping by the time I do get there I'll have prepared him so he doesn't need to answer that ask that question at all he'll already know um, what's gonna be happening in the temple because we've talked about it at appropriate times like during family home evening or in car rides or whatever. Um, you don't need to know that much of it before you go there. I, that was my experience, at least. But I know that's not the experience for every people. And f some people feel like our silence about what happens in the temple is itself um, spooky. Like, that itself is enough to cause, cause concern. We are a people that likes to tell you everything. Yeah. Sit down, and I will tell you yeah. everything about this church until yeah. you break down and decide to be baptized. But yeah. don't ask me about the temple. Yeah, exactly. That, that's a curious <laughs> disconnect. So before we go in and talk about why, um, it's interesting to... to, Well, okay, why don't you go where you were going to go? I have some thoughts about that. Well, I have, I have lots of thoughts, too, and I, I think it's a really interesting question. And um, the temple... And by the temple in this sentence, I mean the specific words and the specific ordinances as I most recently experienced them. Yeah. Oh, I should say, I love the temple. I'm pro-temple <laughs> myself. I love going there. I love sitting in the celestial room. I feel closer to God. I think it's fantastic. Um, so we're very much pro Yes, in this in this camp. Yes, looking forward to the open temple opening back up. Right, exactly. Where you'll be able, to, you know, anybody can go. Right, you can get. It's a free ticket, and you don't have to be a member, and you can go and see what the temple looks like before they dedicate it again. Right. If you're local. If you're local. Make a plan. <laughs> okay, so in the temple, meaning yeah. the words as I last heard them last time I was there, and I don't have any reason to believe this has changed, mm -hmm. but the temple ordinances themselves require silence about very specific and limited and few parts of the temple ordinances. Mm -hmm. Very few parts of the temple ordinances are actually according to the words of the ordinances themselves to be kept quiet about. Mm -hmm. Very few. Like, maybe, I don't know, I'm just going to make up a number. Let's say seven minutes worth of the temple is quote-unquote secret. Mm -hmm. um, however, 
that we we like talking about the difference between sacred and secret. Okay. And the rest of it is sacred, not necessarily secret. So if I tell my son, say, well, I'd like you to go read a couple chapters of Moses, because I think that would be great preparation for the temple. Right. Um, the Book of Mo- Moses found in the Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, Pearl of Great Price. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Pearl of Great Price. Not part of, not in the Bible. That's right. Yes. <laughs> that, don't let that throw you. You'll spend a long time looking for the Book of Moses yeah, I, in the Bible. <laughs> it's a good way to trick someone that's not, <laughs> not too... Yes. Um, that's great preparation. I'm not breaking any secrets. I mean, much of the temple ordinances can be found in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, obliquely. Either in, like, Genesis or Moses, Abraham, the Doctrine and Covenants. Um... And so the question of, like, is it correct that we are secretive about those other things? I don't like the word correct. I don't think that's the point. I don't think yeah. it's, I think it's something, it's one of the many things in the church that we have to grapple with ourselves. Like, what does it mean to obey the Sabbath day? So what we're going to be driving at is that um, so the, some of the reasons we don't talk about the, some of the things in the temple is because it, it's kind of a natural outgrowth as to our feelings about um, just personal prayer and and. Right, some things, because as we mentioned earlier, if you take the temple out of context, it may not mean anything. The same thing is therefore true about how we experience the temple. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to say, well, this happens in the temple without talking about what it means to me. So let me give you, let me give a concrete example. Okay. When I was in grad school, um, I had a really good friend of mine, and we were just talking about about religion in general, and not a member of our church, um, and he, and I was trying to describe to him what the temple was like, you know, and I used words and phrases like, um, you know, you, you go to the celestial room and you feel the spirit and it's really powerful and it's get prayers answered. And he, and he looked at me like I had grown, uh, a second, um, pair of eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> that would be startling. <laughs> I, I had no way to communicate to him, um, the feelings I had about while I was there. I just couldn't. I couldn't figure out how to actually communicate it. And so, if we're going to categorize why we don't talk about things in general in a meta sense, let me yes. propose the first category. Okay? Go for it. And it's a phrase that your friend uh, Matthew uses here, which is unutterable. I think that's fair. In fact, I don't believe you can have an honest relationship with deity without accepting that many things cannot be explained humanly. It's just too hard. Words don't adequately describe beauty and, you know, and, and prayer and things like that. It's, yes. It's really hard. This is why most of the romantic poets died young. <laughs> exactly. They tried. They tried. <laughs> so, um, this, that's what I would say is one of the categories, is un- unutterable. Yes. There's, and there's... Um, you know, there are a few scriptures that that describe unutterable occurrences. Certainly. Quite like, a few, in fact. Like when Christ visited the Americas in the Book of Mormon. That's right. They describe their experiences unutterable. Speaking of Moses in the Book of Moses, he talks about things not being... Cap- he, can't, he can't talk about it. There's no way. He can't figure it out. Yes. Okay. That's the feelings about the temple. Right. But not the words. <laughs> the right. words, I could quote for you from verbatim most of the, the temples, a lot of the temple ceremony right now if I sure. wanted to. Why don't I? Um, because I think there is a difference between, well, let me, let me take a step backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the great things about literature is allusion. 
A-L-L-U-S-I-O-N, illusion with an A, mm -hmm. in which by referencing something that we share in common, I can fill you up with a lot of the um, ideas or emotions or, or such that you might not already be feeling. So if I say, um, as an example, well, I had... I'm I'm blanking here. You're, you're having a hard time coming with a way to allude to what illusion means. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm really bad at coming up with examples on the spot, which is is shameful. Um, well, let me give you an example. When I was just out of high school, Batman Forever came out. Yeah. Which I can't recommend as a great movie, but no. it was so much fun to watch yes. when I was a teenager. I came out of that movie. I was hyped up. We went to a grocery store, me and my friends. And the wind was blowing a grocery cart across the parking lot, and mm -hmm. it was going to bang into somebody's car. Mm -hmm. And heroically, like, I had this huge rush of adrenaline, and I went and I saved that car from that shopping cart. And I was filled with this really powerful emotion, like this heroic emotion. Uh -huh. um, which is part of the reason I've never watched that movie again, because I <laughs> just don't think back. it will... I'm not... Yeah, it's not coming <laughs> back. I just need to leave that feeling as it was. Um, but if I make a reference to a superhero and the sort of emotions that superheroes uh, bring, then you're going to have an emotion um, that automatically, because you know what it means. If, if I'm talking about what it means to be Superman, you'll have a different experience than if I mentioned Batman. Um, as Latter-day Saints, in making art for each other, we have a lot of shared cultural touch points in the scriptures or in church history, etc. And in the temple, we have some of those powerful illusions we could make. In fact, they may be too powerful for normal use. Mm -hmm. I once dropped a line from the temple um, at a roommate without, I couldn't figure out what the line was from at first. It just, it was an appropriate line at the moment and it was funny in context mm -hmm. of the moment and I dropped it and then I remembered where it was from and then I felt bad. Mm -hmm. Even though uh, my roommate thought it was funny, I didn't feel it was funny because it, yeah, it was yeah. a good line and it yeah. fit really nicely in our conversation but it was, the power that comes with that illusion was not appropriate to a dumb joke about what I was doing that weekend. This has happened with my group of friends online when we're in online chats, right? I remember particularly someone dropped one of these lines and then someone else laughed and then dropped another one. And another one of my friends said, pump the brakes. <laughs> yeah. But I, and I, that's always stuck with me. Pump the brakes, guys. Because I think <laughs> illusion is powerful and it's what binds us together. It's why everyone in our generation would sit around college dorms quoting The Simpsons. Um, and I would feel left out because mm -hmm. my parents didn't let me watch The Simpsons. <laughs> but uh, it's something we share. Instantly we have a shared experience because we have all these memories attached to whatever it is. Um, and because of that, on the, other, on the one hand, it could really bring us together, and I think it's appropriate, and we have seen paraphrased lines from the temple in, for instance, conference talks, mm -hmm. but the power that comes from a direct quotation is rarely appropriate. Mm -hmm. I won't say never because I am not one of these people such as I believe yourself, who mm -hmm. is absolutely, well, I don't know, absolutely is a strong word, but like yeah. opposed to quoting the temple. Like I'm not absolutely opposed to that, but I think it needs to be done in wisdom and with care. No, I could buy that. I'm, I'm fairly opposed to it, but um, I could see it being appropriate at the, in the right context. I'm not convinced that context is over the podium. <laughs> I'm not convinced, but, but you know what? Um, 
you know, let the spirit guide. Sometimes things happen. We're big in agency yeah. the, in this church. Like, I really believe that that's the sort of decision people can make for themselves as the, long as they're wise. This topic has to make no sense to somebody who's not a member of the church. I would imagine. Right? So we're, we're, we're saying that the, there are these lines and phrases from the temple ordinance ceremony that we just don't repeat because we don't repeat them. It feels like a bit of a tautology. Yes, and sometimes I think it is a bit nearing unto pointlessness. Mm -hmm. um, the point, pre the temple conversation, this came up in a podcast when you, in order to make a point, had to hint that you were about to be released from a calling. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's how this came up, which uh -huh. in the culture of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, if you've been released from a calling by your priesthood leader, but mm -hmm. it has not yet been announced to the congregation... It is essentially verbatim, verbatim, verboten, verboten. Thank you, <laughs> verboten for you to uh, to mention that. And the same thing if you've received a call but have not yet been sustained by the congregation, you just don't talk about it. And I, why? I. That's not the sacred. That's not ineffable. So that's... let's add another category to our list. All right. Okay. Um, and I, th I think we could call it bureaucratic. Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> so specifically, when you. I think it leads to, this particular part just leads to rampant speculation, and it kind of detracts from what else is going on in the church. Oh, the bishop is getting released. Who's going to yes. be the new bishop? Although it gets a lot of people in seats that who might not be coming otherwise. That's true. But, yeah, yeah but it does, yeah, for, I mean, for, that's a good point. But it does kind of spawn a bunch of gossip. Oh, that, yes. You know, they're not, they're not good enough to be in that calling. <laughs> and then that person's walking by, and they're like, oh. <laughs> I think that, I think... This one, it seems pretty straightforward. It's mainly so that people don't speculate and they don't waste time speculating, right? As if that will stop people. It, yeah, exactly. But it's to try to put a bit of a control on it. So so you see a social good, even though there's no... Uh, the spiritual um, element is, is... this. We're not talking about a sin here. We're no, just no. talking about something that's good for the community. Yeah. this, And I doubt it would be in the handbook anywhere, either. The handbook here being how to run the church. I don't remember it, yeah. but I no longer have access to it. This feels more like a more like a tradition. Yes, and I'm not really opposed to it, but it is when you really stop to think about it. The more you think about it, the less it seems like an absolute truth. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, that's a good one. Um, so okay, there you go. There's one thing that we don't talk about just because there's a few social good reasons not to, but it's not that important. Yes. Um, what are some other categories? So I made a list of categories here, and you've added it to them. Me. And uh, so we've talked about unutterables and unexplainables, these feelings sure. that you have that you can't describe. I, um, I, I'm less comfortable with the word unexplainable because that also seems to suggest what um, things you don't understand but might like to understand. Mm -hmm. Sometimes what we don't understand should be talked about. Yeah. And even if you don't find... So, so I know what you meant by unexplainable, but I think... I don't. I. I would say leave it at unutterable because I think unexplainable has different connotations. Fair enough. Unutterable, right? Um, there are things that are sacred, and sure. this is what we've talked about earlier: lines in the temple that we don't use outside of the temple. Right. So sacred. Let's talk. What does the word sacred mean? Well, um, I used to have this memorized. What does the Latin mean? I can. I can. I, I can. Yeah, go for it. I I, you're probably you. right. Oh, you already looked it up. It, it means. Yeah, I just um, don't want to say it wrong. To set apart. Set apart. Okay. Yeah. Good. Like, um, consecrate. Like consecrate, exactly. Mm -hmm. It means um, something that is not part of everything else, right? And in this particular case, it's just this religious part of it. So these are lines that we reserve for the temple because 
it's okay, it's good to reserve some things for the house of the Lord, right? Right. So I would like to define sacred in for purposes of this conversation. See how you feel about this. Okay. Um, sacred are things that are directly touched by God. Mm-hmm. So I go to the temple. My experience is there. Hopefully, at least once upon a time, were sacred. Mm-hmm. I was touched by God there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reminded of the story by about. Um, President Packer, who was once asked if he'd seen Jesus and said, we don't talk about things like that. Yeah. Um, which makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. It would not be, it, whether he had or hadn't is really none of my business because that's an experience he had of either being touched by God or touched by God in a way I can't understand or not, touch, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is, it's not my experience. Yeah. And the only appropriate time to share an experience like that with someone is when God is touching you and telling you to do it mm-hmm. and that they are being touched by God and like... I, I think the sacred means that something has been directly touched by God and therefore it's not yours to share unless you have God's permission. I can really see, um, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. Um, I could really see why some people would be like, this, does, this doesn't make sense. Why are you guys doing this? That's not, this is, I think we're being honest. This is how we feel about it. Sure. Right? We're not. I don't think we're outliers the prob- in terms of no. the church. The, the the interesting thing here is, though, what... Ma- so, Matthew... Uh, last name? Uh, Westwood. Matthew Westwood had this tweet storm, and we're going to look through it. Um, Matthew, say it again? Mattathias Mattathias. Oh, I've said it wrong before. Sorry. It's okay. Matt- I wasn't going to correct you, but Matt- then I remembered everyone will hear you and be corrected, so we should just get it over with. <laughs> All right. So, he had this great uh, tweet storm about um, because because we don't talk about what's in the temple because of these feelings, new people in the church or people outside of the church thinks there's something wrong about the temple or something weird about the temple. Right. It's kind of a natural consequence. And, you know, one of the reasons we're talking about this today is to tell people that are listening, that's just not the case. um, As you get to know the church better, you will hopefully realize that it's just some things we keep private. That's all. There's nothing nothing spooky or nothing weird about it. Although, uh, to quote him, it, it also sometimes snowballs to the point where not only can you not talk about X, but you can't talk about the demand not to talk about X because that would be referring to, referring to X obliquely. And you can't talk about the demand not to talk about the demand to talk about X until eventually you can't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, actually, I'm leaving off the best part of that quotation. So mm-hmm. definitely click over to the tweet storm and read it for yourself. But um, And it's true, right? As soon as you make something inappropriate then everything that touches is inappropriate everything that touches that is inappropriate and suddenly we're all dirty and we're like the pharisees Mm -hmm. who um you know and we we have rules that are the sort jesus would absolutely break Mm -hmm. it's interesting this is the kind of thing where if it bothers you then a bit of study will clear it up all you have to do is open up your lds tools app and start searching about the temple and you will immediately find conference talks and things where people have talked about sure but that's no guarantee it'll um, you know, take care of a, an individual person's individual concern. Right. Fair enough. Okay, so going back to our list. If back to the list. If that seems okay. Our, our list of categories. Categories of things not discussed, right? So some things are unhonorable, some things are sacred. Some things are just uncomfortable, right? You just don't mm-hmm. talk about them in polite company. So you asked a question on Twitter. And it was, I did. It was great. What was your question? Um, I my question was essentially I mentioned the two examples we've already talked about callings and temples, mm-hmm. and said what are some other things in the church we don't talk about? And most of the answers I would say 
fall into this uncomfortable category that mm -hmm. you mentioned. Um, I'll just read through them real quick. Um, or should I? Um, I think I will. I think I will. So these are from a number of different people. I will we'll also include a link to my original question so people can read these responses if they want. You can see who said what. Uh, we have uh, positive examples of people leaving the church, sexual development, abuse, emotional needs of men, non-Christian belief systems, specific spiritual goals after marriage, any negative impacts of church culture, practice, or leadership, processing rather than just trying to replace negative emotion, conflict between teachings and experiences, that it's okay to have sinned, repentance not a shameful thing. Sexuality, the day-to-day -day realities of mental health, virtually any ongoing negative life experience that you can't see any meaning in. General authorities are just people. Grief and pain, especially if related to infertility or miscarriage. Doubting, uh, feeling lonely or left out, um, especially in church. And married life after the honeymoon. So, that's a lot. It's a lot. And so some of these are true anywhere. Sure. These, some of these are um, could be American culture or just most human society culture. In fact, I would say most of these are not specific to the church. I don't... I think if we broke it down and voted, I, I agree with you. Most mm -hmm. of them we would consider not specifically LDS-centric, although certainly have a distinct LDS spin. So you got to break it down. Where are where don't we talk about these things? That we some some things we don't talk about over the pulpit. Mm -hmm. Some things we don't talk about in Sunday school, right? Some things we don't even really talk about in family home evening, right? And some things we don't talk to anybody. And about. some of those things we should talk about. But that goes. It depends on the level. That's well. It depends on a lot of things to which we're not always privy. Like um, to take abuse, for mm -hmm. example. Um, there was a. I know a number of wards. Um, and stakes, our stake is one of them, where the church brought in extremely competent people to talk about abuse mm -hmm. in a very explicit and direct way. And um, some people were very uncomfortable with this, naturally. Mm -hmm. And some people were so, so grateful to have to be able to talk about it at church and hear, hear it talked about at church. So this was like a Sunday school style setting? Um, no, this was at state conference. At state conference? At, like the, uh, it's, I think it's been done in state conference, the general session in a more, in a simpler way, but like the adult session mm -hmm. and special like open to everyone stake meetings. Importantly, those, those, this is what I'm trying to drive at. Right, I'm not disagreeing with you, I'm just yeah. pushing. But those <laughs> venues are in, are kind of controlled. And let me, let me say what I, what I mean. What happens if some of these topics is that it's very easy for them to become confessionals, all right? And this is where they really go off the rails. These, in, I've been in those Sunday school le mm -hmm. lessons where somebody brings up one of these topics, right? And um, then immediately someone else says, oh yeah, this, I know what this, hap this happened to such and such person, right? And then all of a sudden, you're in just this terrible place. It takes so, a lot of skill it as takes, the leader of the conversation. Right. It takes focus. Um, it takes one person holding a mic sometimes and not letting anybody <laughs> else talk. Right? Because when it becomes time to talk about things in your own life, that's when you got to do it with counseling. And as right. I mentioned um, last week's episode, the church will actually pay for counseling. So, um, right. If you don't know that, if you feel like you need counseling in your life, yeah, your ward should help you with that. And you don't feel like your bishop is the right person to talk to about this. And oftentimes they're not because they're not a professional. What do they know? They're not professional counselors. Yeah, I've never had a bishop who was a professional therapist. Right. Not then one. We have <laughs> lists of people to talk to, all kinds of fields, and it'll get paid for. Yeah, bishops are instructed to help you with this. I don't know the exact way in which this is handled and i'm sure it varies from area to area but essentially this is a true fact 
the church wants you to get what you need mm -hmm. in terms of counseling and therapy, etc. Are there any more on that list you want to go into? Um, well, a lot of these, I think you're right, a lot of these are closely tied to confession. I remember as a missionary, part of our, I don't know if this is true in the new, um, actually, I think, are you enough younger than me that you did come follow me as a missionary? No. No, okay. Um, I don't know, so I don't, I'm not sure if this is true of come follow me, but in the previous instructions to missionaries, we were instructed to never under any circumstances, talk about sins we had committed. Uh -huh. And in general, I think that's a good policy. I think there are a lot of reasons why that's risky. Um, but it's also problematic because then if everybody follows this policy, then everyone around me appears to be perfect. And lo, I, a sinner, mm -hmm. I'm sad and alone. And who can I talk to about my difficulties when nobody else is willing to admit they've ever done anything wrong? To be fair, for the missionaries, I actually, it's a good point. I don't know what the current... I'm sure it hasn't changed. This is one that I'm sure I'm sure it's changed. similar, if not the same. It's really important for the missionaries to be representatives. And, and also separate from their previous selves. Yeah, yeah. Because remember, they're still dumb kids. They are. It's, I, mean, I didn't realize that at the time. <laughs> I mean, I would say that they were, but I didn't realize how true it was until... Right. <laughs> but I but I see where you're com what, what you're trying to say. It becomes this taboo to talk about, like, bad experiences that you've had in the past. And, um, you know what, I think that that is, I think that there are venues within the church where such discussions are appropriate, but I also think they happen naturally. So, and in smaller groups, oftentimes when, um, and this was before Elders Quorum merged with the high priest, Christ, high priest group, you know, we had like six people right. in a room talking about some topic, topic then suddenly it would feel like it was a bit more appropriate to be a bit more personal, right? But it's oftentimes it just... Because the, the purpose of church usually is to build you up. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how much of our Berkeley bias is showing here. Mm. Um, that's hard to say. I've lived here 12 years now. Mm -hmm. I've, that's most of my adult life. Is that true? It's exactly half of my adult life, there, I guess. If I go. did the math right in my head right now. Um, and so... I don't know if I'm being fair here, but some of these, uh, more than one person mentioned what being married after marriage, and this is something I've heard from many people over the years. It's not just these two uh, tweeters that have said this. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of people say that the church does a really good job preparing you to get married, mm -hmm. but very little preparation for what happens next. I've heard that from a number of people. And if people feel that that's something we're not allowed to talk about, then that's a problem because we should absolutely be talking about that. And... I worry, are, is it true that some wards, like, it's taboo to talk about, um, you know, I don't know how to uh, be married as opposed to get married? Like, mm -hmm. that that worries me that that might be true in some areas. I don't know. I mean, obviously, it must be true. People feel that way, yeah. right? And that's real. Yeah, I don't know how to respond. I mean, certainly when I look 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 back at myself and other people I know... Um, it's definitely, a, you got to work on things, right? I'm sure I'm sounding like an idiot right now. <laughs> <laughs> work on things, Aaron. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't know how to respond. Um, but that's okay. The point of this topic isn't to have answers to everything. Well, and I, that's exactly right. And there's the joke in the church about Sunday school answers, right? Like mm -hmm. every question that a Sunday school teacher asks can be answered with, um, Say your prayers, read your scriptures, pay your tithing. Go to church. And if that's the level of conversation we're having at church, then I don't know that we're building up 
people, except for those who need to hear that specific and very... Um, to be fair, I don't think that's the level we're having. No, no, I don't think so. Not in our ward, certainly. Yeah. And I hope not in most wards. The church is trying hard to make the quality of teaching higher than that. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, through specific outreach programs to make the teachers better. Right, and better manuals that force them to do more than just read it. Um, but I, I was in a ward once, for instance, where every um, elders quorum lesson for about three months was after the prayer and the announcements, the teacher would hand out a copy of a talk from General Conference, and then we would watch the talk on a television. Mm -hmm. And then we would go home. <laughs> and that doesn't give me a lot of opportunities to reach out to my yeah. brethren in the quorum. Whereas here in the you know, here in our ward and in other wards, like back home, um, there's a high pri the high priest group would have just amazing discussions. Um, so I think that the answer to this question is it depends on the venue. A lot of these topics um, don't don't go well over the pulpit, but do go well during Sunday school. Some of them go well in smaller classes. Well, let me ask you this: when it hasn't been done in a ward, mm -hmm. who starts it? Yeah. Well, some of these I'm not convinced we need to be discussing. <laughs> All right? Like, I'm not going to buy... I mean, these, I'm, I'm really grateful that these, a, lot, a lot of these people responded, and I agree with lots of them, but some of them I just don't agree with that we need to be talking about in church. Um, there are other venues. If you want to, to not to single one out, but non-Christian belief systems. You know, I go to church to learn about... That's true. Do you, Book do you Mormon think and, that some saints feel like they cannot talk about, you know, you know Buddhism or something? Oh, definitely not. Like not, just, not here. Not not at church, but just period at all. I, I I don't know. I don't think so. I think that um, I think that it's very possible just to be uneducated about it, right? I, and um, that it just doesn't come up. But I don't feel a need to take to come to Sunday school and learn about you know, non-Christian belief systems. I have taken classes in non-Christian belief systems in yeah. college, and I loved them. And, you know, I really enjoy... Okay, maybe I'm just wrong. Um, I do appreciate hearing about them, but it's also, I don't feel like it's taboo. Oh, that's the whole point. Is the, are these top subjects taboo? I don't think, I don't think that one well, in Well, I think there are two is. kinds of taboo. Okay. There's the taboo that is actually taboo, mm -hmm. of which there are few, if any, such topics. Yeah. And then there's the taboo that builds up around something, which is one of these is what our podcast is named after. Yeah. For a while, it was taboo to talk about mm -hmm. Joseph Smith having his face in his hat. And mm -hmm. in that... Life. I brought you. Remember, on the first day, I had you. You had me describe a black and white drawing. Oh, okay. Um, I have one for you to describe. Excellent. This is from Marketing Precedes the Miracle, a book of cartoons by Calvin Grondel, which I'll talk about in a second. But right now, um, tell us about this cartoon. Okay. We, I can link to it when we when we <laughs> post. <laughs> oh, this is fantastic. Okay, so it's a picture of a. It's a cartoon drawing. It's a sketch drawing, black and white. Um, we have a kitchen, and there's a fireplace in the back, and there's a. A uh, woman up on the countertop who's obviously startled, right? Yes, And on quite. the table in front of them is um, a hat, and out of the hat is poking a head. <laughs> and the head has a headband on it. And the woman says, oh, Moroni, you startled me. Oh, sorry, Emma. Could you tell Joseph not to leave the seer stone in here turned on? It drains the power. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> so this book was published in 1987. 1987? Right. No way. And... I was not very old in 1987, but uh -huh. I suspect that has felt rather transgressive at the time. Oh, I, I expect you're right. Like, I think if I had read this as a kid, I would have gone, I don't know what this means. Sure, yeah. And um, I an article I will 
uh, I'm going to talk about now briefly is um, it's called Laugh Precedes the Miracle. It's about how Calvin Grondel and also Pat ba Bagley, Bagley, I think it's I think it's Bagley. They're two editorial cartoonists for Utah newspapers, mm -hmm. uh, and they also publish these books of of Mormon cartoons. And the first one was published in the 70s, and it sold tens of thousands of copies, which is a huge bestseller in the LDS marketplace. Okay. People were buying these in droves, but they are a little transgressive, especially for the time period in which they came out. Um, there are jokes in here about feminism, for instance, and there are jokes in here about um, the infallibility of church leaders and other things that are moderately taboo. Mm -hmm. Things that intellectually we would say are fine, but our gut might make us a little nervous when we see them. Mm -hmm. These books definitely push the issue a little bit. And the argument of the article, Laugh Precedes the Miracle, um, which we can put in the links also, is that we any community needs to have humor in order to know that something's safe to talk about. If there's zero jokes about something, if we can't laugh about something, then we as a community are afraid of it. But once we've learned how to laugh at a seer stone, then we can start talking about it seriously. We can we can show have a picture in the enzyme. We can talk about it rationally because we've removed the stigma mm -hmm. by uh, that humor is a tool for us to talk about things that are difficult to talk about. And in a generation, it's not even a stigma anymore. It's this is what happened, and isn't it awesome? Joseph Smith had a stone, right? right. And through it, he saw God. I mean, let's not bury the lead here. This is fantastic. <laughs> right. <laughs> let's stop worrying about whether or not we're weird. And let's... Uh, Samuel Taylor, who's a, a Mormon writer, contemporary with Calvin Grondel, older than him, but um, they were around at the same time publishing. And he said, uh, Mormons love... I don't have the exact quotation in front of me. Or do I? Whoa. I think I might. He's fumbling at his pockets. Yes. Uh, it's all <laughs> buttoned shut. I think it's in this notebook. What luck. I was not planning on breaking this out today, this quotation, but... Yes, all right, Samuel W. Taylor. You may know him as the author of the short story The Absent-Minded Professor was based on. Hmm. The okay. creator of Flubber. Okay. Mormons are passionately proud of being the peculiar people, but heaven help the author who points out the peculiarities. Hmm. <laughs> so Samuel Taylor wrote stories about uh, Mormons, good stories. I wouldn't say great stories, but fun to read, worth reading. And got a lot of slack for it. Mm -hmm. Got a people flack. You mean flack. flack. I do mean flack. <laughs> uh, people were not pleased with him. Uh, people complained about him. And, and, you know, he felt ostracized at times. I believe he remained an active member his entire life, but he was irritated with the saints because they can't take a joke. Mm -hmm. But at some point, I think we learned how to take a joke. Mm -hmm. And once we can laugh at ourselves, then things aren't as scary. So to go back to this list of things... Um, so specific spiritual goals after marriage and married life after the honeymoon. Those two examples again. If this feels like something people can't talk about, like being able to laugh about newlywed awkwardness or fifth year um, doldrums, maybe that's the first step to show that it's not such a scary topic. Then there's shock for shock's value. There's that also. Yeah, which um, I think... I think so. There's some there's some rebuttal to this whole conversation. Sure. Like, yeah. If you bring these things up, you're just trying to get a reaction, right? You're just trying Maybe to sell. So. You're just trying to sell product, right? Yes, and that's uh, I think that's why these two cartoonists always kind of irritated me. Mm -hmm. I think today was the first time I sat down and read one of their books all the way through, mm -hmm. and it wasn't as bad as I expected. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> um, 
it might also be that I'm older and less worried about things. Mm -hmm. But uh, it wasn't as much as I expected. It also could be that 30 years have passed. Um, but I do think there is an issue of um, just being controversial for controversy's sake. I also don't. I also think that someone like a um, a novelist like Samuel Taylor or a cartoonist like Cal Grandel, they don't know where that line is until they bump it, right? Like, their job is to figure out where the line is. I feel like that's the cultural purpose of the arts. That's something something that we don't want the prophet doing, is fumbling around looking for the line. Yeah, that's but true. But we, the people, need someone to help us figure out where the lines are, and that's where, well, okay. that's where people with funny pen can do it. Why? Because otherwise, we move further and further away from the line until we're scared to talk about things, and we become like the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. That's why. We become afraid to talk about X or even talk about why we're afraid to talk about X or even talk about why we're afraid to talk about why we're afraid to talk about X. Yeah. We don't want to keep going in that direction. We, and I think it's very anti-agency to try to stay as far away from the line as possible. Um, God wants us to explore. This is a fundamental Latter-day Saint belief that we are not to be slothful servants, but we are to be actively engaged. We are to be learning from the best books. And there's no roadmap for that. We have to fumble out into the wilderness. That's what Mormons do. We go into the wilderness, and sometimes we get killed by a snowstorm. Yeah. And sometimes we make it to the promised land, and that's the process. Sometimes we'll make mistakes. But some, some things really are taboo, right? Sure, I think there are. If you've specifically sworn an oath not to say something, yeah. and, you know, then that's taboo. Mm -hmm. And if you had an experience directly with God, and God said, oh, don't tell anybody about, the, anybody about this. That's taboo. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not proposing that we spend all our time on that line and jumping around it over and back. Yeah. But I don't think we need to be afraid of the line. The last thing I wanted to mention was this article by uh, Matthias. Okay? Yes. That he, that he linked to. And it was... Oh, yeah. The, I didn't pull the, that open again. I don't remember the what virtue it's about. Of, the virtue of silence. Oh, yes. I actually... That's actually... We should, we should bring that up. Because I do think there's something to that. Like, I've been talking about the virtue of talking, which I believe in. Mm -hmm. I think it's possible to believe in the virtue of talking and looking for the line and at the same time believe in the virtue of silence. Because, um, as Joseph Smith said, we're in the business of proving contraries. Mm -hmm. So this is what I wanted to talk about with the virtue of silence. Um, I have found very recently the desire, because of this podcast, to turn off my my uh, headset when your I'm, other podcast my other podcast oh okay because i'm finding that as we discuss uh interesting topics in the church that i need time to prepare and the way that i can prepare is by not listening to anything and just thinking about stuff so um this is what i think is the virtue of silence so I know that he's not that's describing like the virtues of not talking about specific topics. But for me I have found especially recently that it's really refreshing to not listen to anything. Um, especially because over the over the last 4 or 5 years I've spent nearly every waking moment if I'm not um, conversing with somebody or watching a TV show or reading a paper um, I've got my ear my earphones in and I'm just listening to stuff. Mm -hmm. And I love podcasts. I think they're fantastic. Audiobooks. But I have found it virtuous to shut it off and just think. We live in a very noisy world. We do. Yes, and I would like to uh, also endorse silence. 
even though I have just promoted talking a lot and looking for the line, which I do believe in, I also agree 100% about silence. And I think that's part of the reason the temple is sacred. It's not just the words. Uh -huh. There's much silence in the In fact, temple. that's one of my favorite parts about it is how quiet it is. Um, I'm afraid, though, that they're going to fix the, the tinkling chandelier when they repair the insides of the open temple. That's a sacred sound to me. Uh, Joseph Smith said that by proving contraries, truth is made manifest. And I think talking and silence are two contraries that we both need to engage in.